It often seems like the defense budget never stops rising, but a long-term look in constant dollars shows the trends a little more realistically. Bloomberg government just completed an analysis going back to World War II, and here with what they found and what it means for Pentagon planners, BGov senior analyst Rob Levinson. Rob, good to have you back. Thanks, Tom. Tell us what you've studied here precisely. Well, what I did, Tom, every year when they publish the uh, when the president puts out his defense budget requests, usually a few months later they put out something called the Green Book because it actually has a green cover. Although I don't know if they publish it hard copy anymore, but it's online, and it it takes the defense budget and it shows it in constant dollars, basically usually going as far back as they ha- as they think they have really good data, which in some cases is as far back as World War II. And what does it show? From my reading of it, it looks like the defense budgets in terms of relative to the economy, relative to federal spending and so on, if you take out World War II, has been pretty constant, up and down a little bit in the um, Gulf War and the Cold War maybe? Right. Yeah, it's it's very interesting when you look, uh, you know, the, the the spending, as you would expect, goes up during wars, like there's some bumps in the Korean War and the Vietnam War, uh, what we, you know, sort of the Reagan buildup, that was the one near, you know, sort of buildup that wasn't during combat. And then, of course, Iraq and Afghanistan operations. And for me, one of the interesting things is the trough that is after the wars end, the spending goes back down, and it's almost been exactly constant. Now, this is in constant or inflation-adjusted dollars, but it normally goes back down to about $400 billion a year. Now, it's interesting, this time, you know, we peaked, defense spending peaked in sort of the about 2008 to 2010, 2012 time frame. And then it dropped down, but it hasn't gone back down as far in the, as the troughs in the previous peaks. I think we're sort of at a, a new normal. And there's a chart showing the relative allocations of different elements of the budget. And the big green one that gets wider and wider is operations and maintenance. And it starts getting wider right around 2003, which is when the whole campaign in Iraq and Afghanistan got started. It has really spread to a much bigger portion of the budget and stayed there right up until 2023 projections. Yeah, that's that's an ongoing real challenge for the military is just just operating the military day to day is taking an incredible amount of money. And that means, of course, that you don't have as much money for procurement of new equipment or research and development of new equipment. You know, when you take the the O&M account, the operation maintenance account, and you add it to the personnel account, which is just, you know, paying people their salaries, it's a huge portion of the budget, particularly like for the Army. You know, when you break this down by service, which I didn't do in the charts, but when you break it down by service, you know, the Army, when you pay O&M and you pay personnel, you're, you've already eat, eaten up 80% of the Army's budget. Yeah, and uh, the other question I had about that same type of view is that if you look at the costs of military personnel in constant dollars, that has not really changed much since around 1958. Maybe it's a little lower even relative to the entire budget. And yet you hear all the time how expensive the volunteer force is, which started around 1975, 76, right in there. You're talking about the, the, the personnel costs on, the, on, that, on that same chart? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The overall uh, sort of personnel cost. But remember, that's that's the overall amount of money that you spend on personnel. But the force has gotten a lot smaller. Um, so, you know, there's another chart that I did, which shows the cost per troop and the amount of spending per troop. And really, you know, that's been on sort of a steady increase 
oh, since the mid-1970s, which you might expect because we then we went to the all-volunteer force because, of course, when you're paying people to volunteer, they cost a lot more than draftees. And really, in about 2003, the, the you know cost per troop tended to go up quite a bit. Sure, yes. I guess in 1948, it was around $200,000 per troop, and today it's around $1.5 million, and that's constant dollar-adjusted. So there's really been an exponential increase almost in the cost of per troop. Yeah, and and again, that's because uh, you know our troops are highly trained, highly valued. Um, they they work with highly technical equipment, and so it costs a lot of money to train and operate them. But you know, there's always this challenge in the military, and it struggles with you know increasing capability versus capacity. You know, do I want new and better stuff, or I just do I just need the force to get bigger? And you know, when you have a finite number of dollars, those are trade-offs that you have to make. We're speaking with Rob Levinson, senior defense analyst at Bloomberg Government. And looking at the aggregate of these findings, how can military planners use them? Is there any practical application for understanding how these dollars have worked over this long period of time? Well, I, I think, you know, what it's, it, it probably can tell you is if you're, if you're planning on huge spikes in the budget, you know, if you've got some plan like a procurement plan for a new system, you know, and, and it's going to spike the budget uh, really high, that probably isn't realistic if you look at the history, unless we're fighting a war. You know, one of the challenges, the Navy comes up every year with a, its 30-year shipbuilding plan, and then very shortly after that, the Government Accountability Office or the Congressional Budget Office, or perhaps both, do an assessment of the plan, and they say, you know, they're never going to get the money to afford this plan. Um, so, you know, looking backwards can give you sort of a view of what is the likely spikes in the budget? Are we likely to get big jumps? Is all of a sudden, you know, the defense, uh, the, the country going to say, oh, let's throw a whole lot more money at defense? And short of wartime, that doesn't really happen. The allocation among the different armed services, Army, Navy, and I guess that includes the Marine Corps and the Air Force. You don't include the Coast Guard here. But those relative breakdowns have been pretty much more or less equal over the years. There's been spikes where the Army did really well in terms of dollars, 2007 to 2012 or 13, but otherwise they've been pretty much in tandem. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a very interesting observation. And there's, again, constant debate. You know, is that the right strategic thing to do to sort of parse the money out evenly among the services? Or is it really a, a function of sort of the bureaucratic politics that goes on and, you know, every service sort of gets an equal share and that keeps them happy and keeps Congress happy? Because many people have argued, you know, in this day and age, maybe we ought to be giving a lot more money to the Navy or the Air Force, less so to the Army. But that doesn't really happen. The big spike that you mentioned with the Army was, again, because of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it was those those operating costs. It wasn't that the Army got a lot bigger or got a whole lot new equipment. It was just that the Army was doing the bulk of the operating in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it cost a lot of money. Because they do have a quadrennial defense review and all these strategy documents that are updated periodically, but the question is, do they ever have any real effect on the budgets or the spending and allocation of dollars within the total that they get every year. Yeah, I mean that's always the question: is that is it driven by strategy or is it driven by just the the inertia of systems? You know, when you're buying weapon systems that are so expensive and are built over such a long period of time, um, it gets tough. You know, the whole, the Pentagon is like the you know the the metaphor is like an aircraft carrier. You know, sharp turns are really really hard to make. 
And so a lot of these things kind of go on a certain amount of momentum. And even if you think that the strategy has shifted a lot, it's tough to shift the budget so much. You know, we recently, our national security strategy focuses more on great power conflict with Russia and China, but we don't really see huge shifts in the budget to 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 take the force in a completely different direction uh, in accordance with a, you know, a change in the threat perception. And I imagine the other so-called great powers keep an eye on these numbers also. Oh, sure. They, they watch us just as, as we watch them. Uh, one thing that's pretty amazing I always find with the U.S. is we're pretty transparent about this. I mean, there's not many other countries in the world, even strong democracies, that release you know, this much information on what we spend our money on when it comes to national defense. Rob Levinson is Senior Defense Analyst for Bloomberg Government. As always, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to the charts at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.